Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to The Haunted Estate here with your host. Yes, that is me, Selena Myers. If you're new here and have yet to listen to our spectacular podcast, make sure to slide over and to subscribe to us on iTunes, read us, review us, share us with your friends, your family, even your enemies. We're cool. Everyone loves us, right? Maybe? No? Gotta get excited about myself. Isn't that weird? I hope you all have enjoyed the last few episodes. They have been the chapters of my book, The Home Reader, The Paranormal Journey. It is pulled off shelves just because it definitely needs some re-editing. I had submitted it to someone who edited it and sent it away from me. And let's just wrap this up into one sound. Yep, that was worth it. I made my nose itchy. Good lord. Anyways, I am trying so quick to get these episodes out so we can slide right back into our regularly scheduled programming. But from what I've heard, you guys are super enjoying the book. We have actually been having a couple thousand extra listens per episode since uploading, which is fantastic, which is going to make me slide in and tell you about the most magical place in the world, which is Fear Farm that is located in Air, which is in like the Waterloo region of Ontario. People come from far and wide. They come over the border because seriously, I have been to every haunt within probably six hours of where I live, which I'm close to a lot of borders and nothing compares to Fear Farm. And that is why I also work there. As I say every episode, don't feed me after 5 p.m. because I turn into Elizabeth Collins. She's spectacular and her half home for the year is Fear Farm. I was recently out there. The things that they have done is incredible. Every year has been off the hook and I can't even start to imagine this year. We are on the countdown. September 22nd is the first opening, well the first obviously, the opening night. Oh my god guys, they have six haunts. It was five before for one low price. Now it is six. There is Condemned Corn, Carnival, Carnival, Ever, Carnival, Carnival, Hiller House, Stalking Dead, The Hay Ride, and Hillbilly Hike, and it is just, oh my god, 
I can't even. I can't even. Hitler House will blow your mind. I'm so excited for Condemned Corn because there is nothing scarier than cornfields. When I'm like driving at night and I'm going past a cornfield, I kind of barf in my mouth because I'm nervous. So anyways, moving forward, buy tickets, come out. I want to scare you to death literally. So visit fearfarm.ca to find directions and tickets. And wow, you will not be let down. Let me know through the podcast if you are heading out. I want to hear guys. Also, you will have an opportunity soon to win free tickets to Fear Farm. So keep tuned in. Like always, if you do have a scary story, urban legend, ghost story, a topic that you want to hear about, even a school story, maybe a story you made up or you're working on, I want to hear it. We all do. Call my toll-free phone number, one 260 or you can hand over to thehauntedestate.com. There you can just send me an email. Also, if you forget how to get to Fear Farm, I will be posting a picture up there for you to click a direct link right through to fearfarm.ca. It's actually a really cool website. I just like to go there. It gives you chills. Anyways, let's move forward into the next chapter. Dreams. It was 2009, a year marred by the aftermath of the financial crisis of 08. In this time, I was still very quiet about the paranormal side of my life. Like many fresh high school grads, I was thrown into the turbulent waters of an uncertain future. So I slid through all kinds of niches, trying to find the persona and profession that would help me fit into the world. I knew I didn't want to be a waitress anymore, nor did I want to rot my life away in retail like so many of my peers. I was trapped floating between disciplines always starting but never finishing anything definitely. I recalled how I had done a single semester of police foundations to find running, fighting, and social security was definitely not my forte. After a fury of experimentation, I had settled on a single pursuit, photography. As a young child, I had an obsession with cameras. I almost always had one glued to my body. As a teen, my then new boyfriend surprised me with a beautiful Canon camera. I was so fascinated with all the different lenses and attachments that could make each image so unique. Now, as an adult, I had returned to the same fascination with creating images. I had taken to Facebook creating a contest for a free photo shoot. I had so many entries, yet I was drawn to a particular local musician. We'd gone to the same high school but were in very different circles. I saw her face maybe twice during my whole high school career. The artist was insanely talented. Her voice was a rich mixture of country and eclectic indie longing. She told me that she was making her first EP and needed album art. We spent the entire day making our way around the city, gathering ideas from taking pictures in overgrown cornfields to sultry pictures in the middle of a gravel road and backcountry that barely anyone used. A few nights after our photo shoot, I woke from a dream. My night was intruded on by a spirit of a young man. He sat and smiled on a broken tree in the middle of a hazy field. He seemed to be a teenager, maybe around sixteen. The scene was bathed in light and flowers flourished around him. The handsome tall boy just sat and looked at me. Words flowed from his coy smile as he spoke to someone out of my field of knowledge. 
You and that yellow dress, he grinned. I love those chubby cheeks, he blushed. I know about the parties, he teased. And then he said something slightly darker, slightly more somber. It didn't hurt. I didn't even know until it was over. He shared with me other comments, some of advice, some of opinion, that is best only repeated to the one it's meant for. The next night the dream returned. This time the land was more barren. Its lush greens and emeralds swung into a sepia. Tonight he didn't utter a word. Instead, he spent the entire night sitting on a log, just looking directly into my eyes. As I woke up the next morning, I knew that this had to be more than a dream. How could I see him twice in a row? How could it feel so real? I sat perplexed. My eyes felt tired as if they had spent the entire night trained on his. This time I'd be ready. Tonight I had put a notebook beside my bed with a pen, ready to jot down anything he said. My comforter was soft as the cool breeze blew in the window. The cool air quickly put me into a dream state. This night I was only with him for a minute. The night was dark and heavy, suffocating in the darkness of the dream. I was restless. I was jolted away at 2 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Finally, the sun was breaking through the trees outside my bedroom. I fell asleep, but whatever mysterious dreams I had been plagued by weren't done yet. I was rocked into the expanse of cold, arid land, scorned by the distinct burn of a winter drought. The teen boy appeared once more and walked towards me. He looked right through me and into my soul. I was shaken by the furious heat of his gaze. You need to tell her. His hands grasped each other and he pressed them against his chest. This same dream followed every night for two weeks. I had started dreading going to bed. I knew I'd be spending my entire evening standing in front of him. Him repeating that I needed to tell her. I asked who, but I never got an answer. I just felt trapped. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. By the second week, I spent my evenings on the computer through 2 a.m. I stared blankly at the sheet of paper that was covered in the scribbles of what the boy had told me. I knew I wasn't going to sleep tonight. I felt so guilty that I couldn't help him. I had never had a spirit come to me in dream form. 
It seemed that sleep was to be stuck in a dream world where I was nothing but a spectator to angst around me. I went on Facebook to distract my overtired mind. Scrolling through my newsfeed, I saw the musician's name and clicked. I decided I would do some late-night lurking and clicked on her profile picture so I could scroll through to see if she had used any of the photos we took. About half an hour later, I found myself lurking through years and years of her photos, when one practically jumped off the screen. It was the boy from my dreams. Beside him was the musician in the yellow formal dress. My heart pounded, searching the screen for a possible mistake. I scrolled down, hoping to find a comment from him, but no, all I found was comments saying how they missed him. I felt a lump form in my throat. Though I might be able to sleep in peace, I was wrong. As soon as my head hit the pillow, I awoke in the field. There was a single tree standing in front of a house. The boy walked to me. You have to tell her the things I told you. She needs to hear them. He put, my, he put his hand on my shoulder. It was the strangest moment I could actually feel the touch. Just like that, I was brought out of my dream. It took me a few weeks of trying to decide how to approach the situation when I finally reached out. I had written her on Facebook, letting her know that I needed to talk to her as soon as possible. I made the call an hour later. I told her of the boy in the field, of the bits and pieces he told me. As soon as she answered the phone, I could already hear the tears in her throat. She knew exactly what this was. I slowly explained I had a connection to that world. I could feel her emotion pulsing through the palpitations of her breath. I took my time relaying to her the information. Some was good, serving her the guidance she needed from him. Some was just memories and telling her things he wanted her to know the most. That day I learned that he was her boyfriend. That they had always been together and truly, truly in love. The morning he passed, he was on his way to see her. His life ended as his car careened into a tree off the road in a field. It was the most emotional phone call I've ever placed. Both of us cried on either end. I felt honored that I could bring her some peace that maybe she had been looking for in all these years. That maybe this was the sign she had been asking for. This first and only time I had had a spirit reach out in dreams of someone I personally know. Two heavy red curtains pulled slowly to their respected sides to reveal a beautiful blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman. She was standing along a tree line. The smile on her face was full, gleaming with good news. Her ruby lips opened to spit out some pretty strange words. My name's Bobo, and I'm dead in the forest. The happiness evaporated. She walked directly into the tree line. To say after I awoke and spent the next day perplexed was an understatement. Bobo? Bobo? What kind of name was that? 
I became frustrated that I didn't have much to work with. After work that day in October of 2011, I typed Bobo into Google's search engine. I was taken back. In April of 2011, 20-year-old American Holly Bobo had vanished. The last sighting of her was by her brother. He had seen her walking with a man in camouflage along the forest near their family home. This was all the information I could find on the internet at the time. I kept the story close to my heart, knowing a strange girl calling from Canada wasn't going to be any help. Especially when I tell them that I learned it, what I had learned was taken from a dream. It wasn't until 2014 there was a break in the case. I had gone on Google every few months to check if there was any developments. That day, I did my next search, was the day her remains were found. Holly Bobo's remains were found in the forest right beside her family home. It was a shock, but being a logical person, I tried to chop it up to coincidence. I didn't have cable, so maybe I had subconsciously saw her name on a paper somewhere? I'm not sure, but that's a story I'll never forget. In December of 2008, I found myself single again. I was in grade 12, and I had always shaped myself around the people I had dated. Being single made me feel uncomfortable. Dating apps were new things at the time, and I found myself joining a dating site called Zeusk. On this app, you met people determined on distance. This is where 17-year-old me met 28-year-old Michael Rafferty. They had told me he was staying at a friend's house while his house was being built. He told me he taught salsa dance to the seniors at the 50-plus center. All around, he sounded like a nice guy. As I said, I was only 17 years old. I had never met anyone from the internet and found the whole idea quite terrifying. Michael had gotten, for a better word, creepy rather quickly. I liked the attention he was giving to me over Messenger, but I had told him I wasn't very interested and wouldn't be giving him my cell phone number. In the early hours of the morning, I was startled by a harsh knocking on my bedroom door. When I opened the door, my brother came straight to my window and pointed. At the end of our driveway was a Honda Civic. Neither of us had any idea of who it could be. My dad was already at work and my mother was asleep. I went downstairs, and as I opened the door, the car was already down the street. Later that day, I returned from my lunch break at the office supply store I was working at, and I was rushed up to by one of my co-workers. She had told me a guy had come in and asked for my phone number. She had said that since he was cute, she had given it to him. I was more excited than upset to find out who my mystery boy was. On Friday night, I was up and watching old reruns when my cell phone rang at 2.30 a.m. I picked it up and was greeted by a deep voice. I learned quickly that this was Michael from the dating app. He was the one who had asked for my number from my co-worker. Everything got really weird really quick. He said he wanted to pick me up right now and go tanning. First, I had never told him I went tanning. My only reply was that it was 2.30 a.m. Then he told me that he knew a place. Then I told him I don't tan. He proceeds to tell me that he's watched me come out of tan factory a few times. I hung up, and I turned my phone off. 
A couple days later, I pulled out of my driveway to go to my shift at work when I saw the Honda Civic was parked in my driveway. It quickly pulled off onto the road and followed me to work. Parking in the back of the parking lot. I didn't move. It wasn't until I was done my five-hour shift. I was filled with anxiety. I had one of my male co-workers follow me out to my car. Luckily, the car did not follow me home. At this time, I had an idea that it might be Michael. But I knew if I told my parents, they would be extremely upset with me for talking to older men online, rightfully so. I called him that night. As soon as I dialed, he picked up. Hello, Michael said. Selena, it's so good to hear. I cut him off in a sharp tone. Were you following me? Michael exhaled and let out a breathy, long laugh. <laughs> no, babe, I'd never do that. My skin crawled. He went on to act like he had kind of forgotten about me. I felt stupid, and I spent the next couple hours talking to him on the phone about totally normal stuff. We again texted for a while, but he again turned the conversation in an uncomfortable direction, so again I cut off communication. At this time, I had met a really great guy. We had only been on maybe two dates when the calls started. Michael was really upset. He was telling me I was damaged goods. That he really wanted us to work out. I just ignored him. A couple weeks later, I was with my friend Brienne at the local Walmart when I had the scare of my life. We were in the shoe section when we heard a man harassing a woman in the next aisle. We could hear her saying that she didn't need any help. But he blocked her from leaving. We stood listening, peering through the shoe racks, ready to intervene. We heard the man shuffle out of the aisle and into ours. It was Michael. Brienne knew all too well who it was and recognized him immediately from the pictures I had showed her. He knew that we were on this side of the aisle. Selena, he said. Brienne grabbed my arm and pulled me out of the aisle. We were darting around Walmart, shocked that he was truly pursuing us. We dropped what we were going to buy and ran for my car. The Honda Civic that had been parked at my house and following me around town was parked against my driver's door. I ripped open the passenger seat door and I flew through to the other side and took off. That night I told my parents. They were disappointed but at the, at the same time, they were happy I told them. We decided to just ignore him, and hopefully, like a bee, he'd go away. The text never stopped from Michael, but after that day, I never saw him again. It would be in the distant future, I would hear his name once more. On April 8th of 2009, our little town of Woodstock, Ontario, was torn apart by two people from different places. A beautiful, young, bright, eight-year-old girl named Victoria went missing. She hadn't returned home after school. By that evening, the town was covered in missing person posters. The whole city drenched in the hopes that she was just playing at a friend's house and forgot the time. I sat with my mom on the couch that night watching the news, biting our nails and hoping for a positive report. In that second, I grabbed my mom's hand. 
I had one of my moments. I saw from hips down what Tori was reported wearing when she went missing. Walking with a man from waist down and a woman from waist down. They were walking downhill along a tree line. I reported this to my mom, but she said it was probably my imagination because of all was going on. A couple months later, I woke in a panic, unknowing of the reason. I was supposed to work, but I just felt too jittery to go. I called in and went for a walk, hoping to shake off whatever it was I was feeling. I was gone maybe an hour when I opened my front door. My mom called out from the back living room. Standing in the doorway, she delivered the news. Victoria's gone. They have her killer. My mouth was dry as I came around the corner, seeing the image that was being shown on the news. It was Michael. I couldn't breathe. I ran. I ran as fast as I could, but only reaching the side of my house when I collapsed and I started to vomit into the bush. The rest was a blur, but I spent countless hours for the next few weeks at the police department going over and over everything I knew about him, how he had stalked me, the things that had happened. A couple weeks later, I was told by police that he had texted me twice that day, once in the afternoon and once in the late evening. Michael and his accomplice, Terry Lynn, had abducted Tori at 3.40 p.m. and she had met, her be- met the end of her beautiful life by 7 p.m. The detectives wanted to know if I'd had the messages, the phone, or if I remembered what he had said. That phone had been carelessly left by me on a city bus. All I could remember was that Michael had stopped texting me around the time of her disappearance. To this day, I live with so much anger and guilt. What if he had sent me a message asking for me to meet him somewhere? If this was the case, I could have saved her. I was older, stronger, and honestly, I would take that spot in a second for that little girl. Our town changed that day. No one felt safe letting their kids go anywhere alone. Doors were always locked, and everyone was always suspicious. I had changed. The guilt that I carried was too much for me. I had decided to apply as a last-minute decision to police foundations. If there was a way to save people, I needed to play that role. My mistake was not taking the time to talk with someone about all the feelings I was dealing with. Everyone just told me that there was nothing I could have done. I will never believe that. I started Police Foundations that September, but it just proved too much. I had to leave school. I would spend the next two years healing, finding myself, living every day more vibrantly for her. In early January of 2012, I got a call asking for me to testify against Michael Rafferty. 
I remember being in the kitchen and handing the phone to my mother because I couldn't hear the officer's voice because the blood was pounding too hard in my ears. That night, I lay in bed with my eyes open, just trying to figure out how a girl from the suburbs has lived this kind of life. A couple months after I testified on the anniversary that she disappeared, my friend Caitlin and I gathered 300 purple balloons, and I had made 350 purple butterflies. We spent the entire night decorating the town in her honor. From her grave to her school, we lit the town up with her favorite color. A couple nights later was a night that changed everything for me. I had gone to bed normally, like any other night. My dreams had taken me away to an arcade in Niagara Falls, Ontario. I had unlimited coins to play with whatever machine I wished. And Tori walked up beside me. We spent the night playing games and having the most amazing time. Once we got tired, we sat at a table. She looked at me in the eyes and told me that I wasn't allowed to feel the way I was feeling. That she didn't know what happened to her. She never gave me any messages to pass on. When I asked her how she knew I was feeling this way, she said she had found me through the thoughts of her family. I asked her to give me a sign that this was more than a dream. I needed to believe that she was truly reaching out to find peace. At 5.30 a.m., I woke from the dream, shaking my head. I wanted more than anything for this to be a real visitation and not just some dream brought on by stress. I spent the next hour showering, eating breakfast, and waiting for a sign. Nothing. At 6.30 a.m., I stepped out the front door onto my front porch. I looked up as I unlocked my car. On the front door, on the front yard, laying haphazard, was one of the purple butterflies I had made months before. So that concludes our dreams chapter. That one is probably the most personal chapter in the entire book because it kind of dives deep into some things that I've gone through in my life and obviously you know that you just listen to that and also other people's lives. Still to this day, because this book is like two years old now, I have dreams. They're not the way they used to be. And since then, I've had people very close to me pass away, and I haven't heard from them. A part of me is thankful, because I feel they found peace. But another part of me wishes that they would give me messages so I could bring peace to people that they love. Anyways, guys, I really hope that you love that chapter, and I want to hear what you guys think. Add me on Snapchat, which is Selena's Life, C-L-I-N-A-S-L-I-F-E. And don't forget to call our toll-free phone number, one 260 3428 and visit com. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs 
or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.